Good morning. My name is Kimberly, and I am a deacon and an associate pastor at All Souls Church in Phoenix. And we meet probably about 10 miles south of here, downtown at Roosevelt Church, which some of you may be familiar with. And All Souls is a church plant, so we actually launched on March the 1st. (laughs) So March the 1st, we launched and had our first what we call public service, and then three weeks later, we went to online services. And so we're kind of in this funky season, like every church is right now, where we're figuring out what it means to still be the church um, and do it online, so much of it. And so I was really thankful and excited when Caleb asked me to share a word with you all today. Um, I'm going to start by just giving you a little bit more information about All Souls and the context that I'm ministering in and just a little bit about myself and also Anglicanism because our church is a part of what's called the Anglican Church in North America. So again, we are a church plant and so much of our DNA and, and what things we've kind of built things on, has been around reconciliation, about love of both neighbor and love of enemy, and how we are called to live that love out as people who are followers of Jesus. And that that's not always an easy thing to do, but that everybody is a part of God's family. And so this topic of reconciliation, the topic of justice and racial justice and justice and love for those who are in the margins and who have been oppressed is something that for our church has really been at the core of who we are. And obviously it's the core of who Jesus is. It's at the core of the gospel. And as a people of God, it is what we are called to in mission. And so as we've kind of formed this core group of people in this church, these have been things and ideas and topics that we've just continued to really press into. And so we are an Anglican church, like I mentioned earlier. And if you're not familiar with Anglicanism, you're not alone. Most people are like, what? I have no idea what that is. Um, So obviously we are a denomination. And originated, the Anglican Church originated in the Church of England. And here in the United States, it's called the Anglican Church in North America. We are a global denomination, though. Many of our churches and kind of diocese groups of churches were planted actually out of Africa. So we, on a Sunday, are worshiping with brothers and sisters around the world. We are a liturgical tradition, so we follow a lectionary. So the same set of scriptures are being read in our church on a Sunday, that are being read at another Anglican church, maybe in Rwanda, that are being read at a Lutheran church down the street or at a Catholic church in Italy. And so those are some of the things um, that we hold dearly. And just a little bit more about Anglicanism. We think of ourselves as both ancient and modern. Anglicanism is worldwide, and we're a body of Christians who are responding to God's revelation through Jesus Christ. It brings together both the authority of the Bible, a historic faith, and then the beauty of structured prayer. And so for some people that feels sort of foreign or strange, but we do have a liturgy that we follow each Sunday, and much of that has structured prayer in it. And you guys will actually um, get to pray a prayer with me at the end of the service that is from what is called the Book of Common Prayer. And that's a book that we use to structure our service each Sunday. And so... Anglicanism is rooted in tradition. It's rooted in an ancient faith and history, part of that being that we um, have church offices. So like I mentioned earlier, I am a deacon. We have priests. We also have bishops. And you may also be wondering what this thing around my neck is. You may have, have seen them before, but it's a collar. And it's something that also kind of ties us to the ancient church. 
It's something that we wear as a sign of our holy calling. And we ordain deacons and priests and bishops um, in our denomination. And we believe that a call to pastor is a vocational calling and it is a holy calling. And so we wear this just as a symbol of the calling that God um, has called us to. And so I want to, as we begin today, open us up with something that we would actually start one of our services with, just as a grounding and a reminder of who we are as the people of God. And so if we were together on a Sunday, you would be reading through this with me and responding with me, but I'm going to go ahead and just read it for you all and just say this with me or kind of follow along. Is the Father with us? He is. Is Christ among us? He is. Is the Spirit here? He is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are his people. We are redeemed. So it is a joy and a privilege to be here with you all today. And we're going to be digging in and listening to what God has to say to us through John chapter 20, verses 19 through 23. I don't know about you all, but it sure seems like we are in a time that is unlike anything most of us have ever experienced. It's a time that not just as a city or a state or a nation, but globally, we are all experiencing at least some of the same things. In this time, I've found that I can't help but be drawn to the power of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit that is working in us and through us, and the reconciling work of God in our lives today. And so we come to this scripture, John 20, 19 through 23, and hear a little bit about the Holy Spirit. When it was evening on that first day of the week, the disciples were gathered together with the doors locked because they feared the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Having said this, he showed them his hand and his side, so the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. After saying this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. So in this season that we've been in since about March, it seems that there's been just layer upon layer of grief and loss and trauma for so many people, families, our nation, and our world. It's heavy. It's been a season of loss and fear, and in some ways it's not that unlike what Jesus' disciples were experiencing in this reading from today. For me, this season has also included the loss of my father. He passed away suddenly a little over a month ago from a heart attack, and grief already had a bit of a different texture because of what's happening around us, and then because just a couple weeks before my dad passed away, um, the two-year anniversary of my mother's death passed. And because COVID makes everything different right now, it's been interesting trying to hold this grief while also figuring out what's happening all around us. It seems that there really is just this cloud of grief and loss and uncertainty that's covering much of life right now, and we're all experiencing it in varying ways. A few weeks ago, we were reading 
the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe with our eight-year-old daughter. And following a scene where Lucy walks arm in arm with Mr. Tumnus, our daughter lamented that right now, the only people that we can hug or walk arm in arm with or hold hands with is our immediate family. I found some comfort, though, in this season and the fact that normal life continues in many ways. So despite a pandemic and quarantine, everyday life moves forward. Babies are born. We actually are awaiting the arrival of a cousin any day now. Birthdays are celebrated. The school year ends, and here we are kind of waiting to look, figure out what this new school year will look like. Engagements are announced. And the church is called, still in this time, to continue faithfully following Jesus. Unfortunately, though, this means that the hard things of everyday life continue, too. People struggle with depression and addiction. Breakups happen. Fathers die. Jobs are lost. Our Asian brothers and sisters experience discrimination due to the origins of COVID-19. And black people continue to suffer from systemic racism, both outside of the church and inside the church. None of these things are new. They've always been a part of life. And a pandemic doesn't stop any of it, the joys, the sorrows, or the injustices. But a pandemic also doesn't stop the spirit from moving. God is always working in us and through us. Howard Thurman, and if you don't know Howard Thurman, I recommend um, reading some of his work. He says that it is good to remember that God has not left himself without a witness in our spirits. There is a Holy Spirit in us that brooks over all weariness and all despair until change comes and the heart is revived. A Holy Spirit that holds confidence in the integrity of the self when the deeds that contradict will not be stilled and the act that destroys goes on in its relentless way. It is good to remember that God has not left himself without a witness in our spirits. At the, at the end of May, those of us who follow a church calendar celebrated Pentecost. And Pentecost is the birth of the church and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on Jesus' disciples. And this year especially, I couldn't help but be struck by the power of the Holy Spirit. Pentecost and the gift of the Spirit are to be celebrated even in the midst of so much heaviness. We can celebrate and be reminded of the church's calling and the outpouring of the Spirit onto those who believe. This is good, good news, friends. In today's reading, we hear what is sometimes called the Johannian Pentecost. Here, the Spirit is poured out onto Jesus' disciples on the day of, sorry, on Easter and not on the day of Pentecost. And in this passage, the focus differs from that of Acts focusing on the identity and sending of a community. It is Jesus' first post-resurrection appearance to his disciples. They were fearfully huddled in a locked room, not knowing what would happen next, which feels somewhat familiar, I think, as we've all been quarantined in our homes, experiencing a pandemic, likely for the first time. I know that some of us are feeling fearful. There's so much that's unknown right now. Plans keep changing, and really planning it all is difficult to do. It's not surprising that the disciples were afraid. They were trying to figure things out, and they were likely traumatized by witnessing the crucifixion and frightened that they too might be killed, and so they hid. 
Even with Jesus right in front of them, they still did not believe that it was him until he showed them proof of his wounds on his hands and on his side. As we read these verses, the fear of the disciples can also feel a bit disappointing because they're acting like a people who have no one to follow. We see, though, that after they realize that it really is the risen Christ standing in front of them and receive the Holy Spirit, they are transformed and emboldened. And we have access to that same power of the Holy Spirit. We are surrounded today by things that incite fear, but when we rest in the knowledge that our God is who he says he is, we can live as a people whose Messiah has come and will come again. There are real things to be fearful of, and I don't want to minimize that, but we must balance our fear with our belief in the risen Christ. Of course, when a threat is present, our natural instinct is to protect ourselves, to lock ourselves away as the disciples did. But what about Breonna Taylor, who was murdered in her home by police, or the Charleston Nine who were murdered at church by a white supremacist that they invited in to study God's word with them. For them, they did not find safety in their locked home or the walls of a church. And does the gospel not call us also to protect those who could not protect themselves? We can't let fear dictate our engagement with the world. If black people allowed fear to constantly dictate the ways in which we engage, we would be confined to our homes, and even then we may not be safe. Jesus and his Father make their home with believers by the Spirit who is with them forever. Such intimacy between God and us is one consequent, consequence of the rich Easter confession. It is what happens when God raises a corpse to new life. Jesus lives not apart from us, but in and through us, and he has sent us into the world to do the reconciling work of the gospel. The Spirit is unifying. Because we are united with Christ through the Spirit, we are also united with God. And the love of God and Christ, it casts out all fears. In today's reading, Jesus breathes on his disciples and they receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Breath is life-giving. The need for breath is something that unites us all, and the Spirit is life-giving. It imitates the breath of life, which God used in Genesis to bring the first human to life. Our lives begin and end with breath, from the first breath of a newborn to the last breath taken on a deathbed, or in the choked words, please, I can't breathe. There is something sacred in breath. And recently, I haven't been able to get the theme of breath out of my head. My father taking his last breaths, Jesus breathing the Holy Spirit on his disciples, George Floyd pleading to a police officer with his knee on his neck that he couldn't breathe, the respiratory issues caused by COVID-19, the suffocating flames of wildfires burning in our state, and the shallow breath that I feel in my chest when anxiety creeps in. Breath allows everything else in our bodies to function. But for those who are oppressed by systems of injustice, 
It is as if they have been walking around for centuries, short of breath, gasping for air, with the oppressor's hands around their necks. Christians, how can we expect people to function like normal when the air is constantly being choked out of them due to centuries of systemic racism and oppression? For those of us who have the privilege of living a life where we can take deep breaths that fill our lungs, where we experience freedom and privilege not based on anything that we have done, but the color of our skin and our social status, it is imperative that we consider how to give breath to those who are short of it. That we remove the hands of the oppressor from the necks and recognize that sometimes those hands are our own. Both breath and the Holy Spirit are necessary in our living, in our spiritual life, and our physical health. Having received the Holy Spirit directly from the breath of Jesus, part of the mission of the disciples and the church is to embody reconciliation and to proclaim who Jesus is. We see in today's reading that Jesus said, Peace be with you, not once but twice when he encountered his disciples huddled in a room. The first time, it was as if it just kind of went right over their heads. They were still anxious and fearful, certainly not peaceful. But the second time, perhaps they really were feeling a sense of true peace, knowing that they were in the company of the Messiah. I'd imagine that once they realized it really was Jesus among them, and they were united with him, that their breathing calmed. And they were able to better focus on what Jesus was telling them. At our church on Sundays, we practice the passing of the peace. I imagine you all do something similar where you greet each other at a certain point during the service and shake hands and say hello. And to give a little bit of history on that passing of the peace, we do it because Jesus told us to. We hear it in the scripture reading from today. And we also see the passing of a peace as a way for people in Christian community to be reconciled to one another before making their offering at the altar. So we do this passing of the peace. We practice this before we go to take communion. We need to be reconciled with one another, forgiving one another for our sins so that we can approach Jesus and receive communion. I love the passing of the peace, and I desperately miss being able to do it each Sunday with our community. But I'm holding on to the knowledge that soon we'll be reunited for Sunday worship again. But even not being united, even worshiping from home and apart, Christ still brings us a sense of peace. We can still practice this work of reconciliation and forgiveness. It doesn't mean that the church stops or that the spirit stops when we're not gathered together on Sundays. The passing of the peace is a sign of hope, a reminder that whatever our fears or anxieties are, the risen Christ is present among us and sends us out into the world to bear witness through the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a witness that represents Christ and one that is not of fear, but love and joy and peace, presence, reconciliation, and advocacy. We see in today's passage how Jesus uses the passing of the peace to send his disciples to do the work of the kingdom. This peace, this breath, 
they both allow us to live out our calling as God's people. With the gift of the Spirit, we are joyful, no longer living in fear, but we are living in the knowledge that Christ is who he says he is. We are not living under the influence of the powers and the principalities. The Spirit works through locked doors, walls, individualism, racism, and other divisions. It carries on the work that Jesus began through his disciples, and it carries that work on still today. Too many churches have locked their doors to a vibrant understanding of the Holy Spirit's role in their midst. The black church tradition teaches us that when we commune with God and the Holy Spirit, we are made whole. In his book, Another Day's Journey, Robert Franklin says this, Personal and social transformations are interrelated. Personal conversion, moral renewal, and sanctification should manifest themselves in acts of justice, charity, and service in the wider world. This teaching from Franklin raises the bar for Christians. It implies that it is our individual responsibility to care for the world outside of our church community, and that we have a duty to participate with others in combating social evils, such as racism. Oftentimes, we don't know how best to bear witness to Christ in our world. Maybe it would inspire us to be bold and creative witnesses if we saw the risen Christ miraculously pass through our barricaded doors like the disciples did. But here's the thing. We know the story, and the disciples didn't have all of the pieces that we have now. Jesus is already present with us, and he has called us to the work of reconciliation, even during a global pandemic. Certainly, we can use things like social media to speak out toward injustice, but what will we do beyond that? The Spirit has been poured out onto us, and we are living in the power of Christ. How will we take a stand against the powers and principalities of the day, living in hope for Jesus rather than living in fear, huddled together in our comfortable neighborhoods, social circles, and churches? Of course, many of us are still quarantined, and even for those who are venturing out a little bit more, life doesn't feel normal. But injustice is still happening. Just as it was when Jesus appeared to his disciples, and people are still desperately in need of the gospel, they always will be. There are ways that we can live out the gospel as the church, even when most of our life is spent at home. Even in the midst of everything that is happening, we have an opportunity to refocus on what the church is called to. We get to remember what it means to be for something rather than against something. We are called to be for Jesus and his ways, not against the world. We are called to embody this peace and reconciliation. And as the scriptures say, this leads to the forgiveness of sins. So what are the next steps? What do we do with this? I think I want to first remind us all to breathe. But then when I think of what is an application for all of us, regardless of your gender or race or ethnicity, I think that it's important for us to examine our privilege. This is something that I've been spending some time doing. Um, I am a black woman. That 
obviously does not come to much of a surprise if you're watching me right now, but I have privilege. I was raised in a really good school district that my parents chose to move to because of the great schools. So I have some privilege when it comes to education and academics. I have a master's degree and I'm working on a second one. So again, privilege in terms of education. I have a husband who is white, whose privilege I am able to leverage at times. And so for each of us, there are ways in which we have privilege that we are living in that we can leverage for other people. And so I encourage you to spend some time talking to God, praying, kind of discerning what are the privileges that you have that you can leverage in order to raise up other people, people who are in the margins, people who are forgotten. Sometimes it's as, as simple as, as finances, as leveraging your finances and your wealth to help other people. Sometimes it's using your education, using your voice. If you are somebody who has a voice of privilege, if you are somebody that people might really listen to, can you use your voice to speak up for others? So take some time just thinking through that and discerning that. And in doing that, in leveraging your privilege for others, you are giving that gift of breath to other people. You are helping other people to breathe a little easier. And if you are a part of majority culture, so if you are white, then commit to learning and also unlearning. There are new things that you likely don't know. Things maybe about the history of our nation, the history of the Christian church in the United States, things about systemic racism that you need to learn that maybe were left out of your curriculum growing up in school. But also there are likely things you need to unlearn. We all have implicit bias that we hold and we aren't aware of. And so what are some of those things? Some of the things you've been taught, whether it's been things that you were taught kind of blatantly or things that are implicitly in you that you need to unlearn in order to give breath to your brothers and sisters who are in the margins, who are people of color, who are oppressed. And then if you are a person of color, ooh, really quick, one of the things you can use as a tool for learning is on the screen under Next Steps. And so this is actually an online class that will be offered later this summer for free. Um, a friend of mine, his name is Dr. Isa Macaulay, and he is a, a fellow Anglican, and he teaches at Wheaton. He's a New Testament theologian, um, and he is teaching a class that he normally offers to his students at Wheaton called The Bible in Color. And I'm really excited about this class. Um, in this class, he chooses to use only theologians who are people of color. And so I would encourage you um, to check out this link to sign up for the class. You'll get an email back, and then once the class is ready, they will send you the information. So, moving on, if you are a person of color, I would simply say, and it's not that simple, engage in self-care. Oftentimes in communities of color, um, self-care, seeking out therapy, things like that are not common. There's a stigma attached to them. But I would say that whatever self-care looks like for you, pursue it. Because we are living in a time where things are especially heavy. I know for myself, I've been spending a lot of time, not just this last month or two, but in previous years, really sitting with 
my brothers and sisters who are white, who are pastors, who are congregation members, kind of working through what racism is, the systemic injustices that exist. And I am thankful to do that, and I know that that is a part of my calling. That is not every person of color's calling. But if you are doing that work, or if you're not, take care of yourself. Breathe, exercise, see a therapist. I know my therapist has helped me many times, but take care of yourself. Just make space for self-care and time with the Lord. So let's take one just deep breath together, knowing that we are unified in Christ, and then we will pray a final prayer together, and I invite you to pray this prayer with me. Oh God, you made us in your own image and redeemed us through Jesus, your Son. Look with compassion on the whole human family. Take away the arrogance and hatred which infect our hearts. Break down the walls that separate us. Unite us in bonds of love and work through our struggle and confusion to accomplish your purposes on earth. That in your good time, all nations and races may serve you in harmony around your heavenly throne. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Peace to you, friends.